Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Quick question, who uh, after receiving the email yesterday actually read Genesis 22? Anyone? Started it. All right, there's a handful of you. I started it doesn't count though, you know. Only in horseshoes and hand grenades. You got to finish. Yeah, you got to finish. All right, Genesis chapter 22. I want to talk to you this morning for the next few moments about a decision and the promise. You see, our decisions as believers should always be based on the promises of God. Because we understand one key thing. Decisions always affect destiny. So if we want to go where God wants us to go, to get where God wants us to get, to be who God wants us to be, everyday decisions are paramount. They're so vital and so important. And it's also so important that we base those decisions not on how we feel, not on what we think, not on what we see, not on what culture tells us, not on how our friends influence us, but rather upon the promises of God's Word. Understanding that His Word is always true, His Word never fails, God never disappoints, and in Him there's never lack. So why wouldn't we want to build our life upon the promises of God and make every decision of life based on what God has already declared in us and over us? Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read the whole chapter in pieces. Is that okay? So we'll begin with verses 1 and 2. I don't know why I ask you, it's okay, that's what we're going to do anyway, but uh, anyway, I'm glad you buy in and you're on board. Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. It's interesting when we read this scripture that God is asking Abraham to give his most valued and prized gift, which was Isaac. Isaac was a gift from God, a miracle child, the promised child. Isaac was already destined to be the father of the nation of Israel through Abraham and through the promise. And now God's saying to him, Abraham, I want that which is most important to you, that which is most valuable to you, and I want you to give him to me. It's a quandary. I wonder if God were to ask us the same thing, what would we identify as most valuable and most important in our lives? Would it be a loved one, a spouse, a child? Or would it be something maybe tangible, like the money in our bank or the funds in our retirement account? What would we identify as most important and most valuable in our life? Because once we identify that factor, then we can determine how we would respond to God. And would we, in fact, obey? God asked Abraham to give him what was most important and most valuable in his entire life. Now, too often, we as humans in today's society don't value relationships or people at that level. But rather, we value possessions, the things we've acquired the money that we've earned and saved as our most valuable possessions. Kind of reminds me of the story of the tightwad, the guy who absolutely 
every time he pulled a dollar out of his billfold, uh, George Washington squinted, you know, that kind of a guy. Reminds me, he said to his wife, we're going to live frugally. So 20% of every paycheck he put under his mattress because he didn't trust banks. And he did that his entire life, telling her we're saving for our old age, so we'll be okay when we get old. But when he turned 60, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Only lived a few months. Just before his death, he said to his wife, I want you to take the money that's under the mattress, make sure you put it in my hand in the casket so I can take it with me. Because I may have to buy my way into heaven. So his wife, being a little smarter than your average bear, after he died, took all that money, went to the bank, deposited it in the bank, $226,000. And then on the day of his funeral, she wrote a check for $226,000, put it in his hand in the casket. You see, this guy thought that some way, somehow, he could buy his way into heaven. Listen, there was no way that would happen. He couldn't even buy a postage stamp in heaven. Absolutely doesn't work that way. He was wrong about what money could do for him, about what money could buy him. And he lived his life in a false pretense. Yet there's still a lot of people in the world today, some even who come to church, who put their faith in money rather than in the living God. Who put their faith in what they have rather than what God has promised. Money becomes a buffer to them in difficult times. It becomes a security blanket in the midst of tragedies and difficulties. But I've come to tell you this morning, it's time for God's people to make their decisions not based on their trust of money for a promise of security, but based on the promises of God, which never fail. Which never fail. Only God can really give us what we want. We understand that, right? It only comes from the Lord. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 tells us this thing. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Who are to imitate people like Abraham, who is willing to give his most valued possession, his most prized thing to the Lord when the Lord asks. Romans 4, 3 says it this way about Abraham. He believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Romans 4, 16 says, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. He is the father of us all. The promise given to Abraham carries through to us when we choose to obey God. That's a pretty powerful statement. That's what Paul said to the Romans. You see, when God made a promise to Abraham, he chose to believe the promise. He chose to live by faith, to act upon what God had declared. Now, we realize from the time the promise was originally made until Isaac was born, it was 25 years. Did Abraham have doubts during that time? Sure he did. You know the story. He messed up. He had doubts. He tried to do things his and Sarah's way. It didn't work out so well. But for 25 years, there was something in the back of his mind that kept saying, but God said, but God said. Some of you in this room this morning have been right where Abraham is at, or you are right where he was at. And, but there's still something in the back of your mind saying, but God said, would you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and respond in obedience? Because what God has promised, he's able also to perform. What God declared, he will carry through. Why? Because God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. 
what God promised he will perform. And as a result of that, for those 25 years, most of Abraham's life decisions were based on the promise. Because in his heart, he recognized the decisions I make would affect the destiny that I live. But not just for me, but for those who come after me. See, let us see that there is a reason to believe and live on the promises of God. Not just for me, but for those who follow after me. Because the promise wasn't just to Abraham. It was that from Abraham would come a mighty nation. And he chose to stand and believe that promise. So Genesis 22 tells us some pretty amazing things about Abraham's faith. Number one, it tells us that faith was required to make the right decision. He knew the promise, but he still had to live by faith in order to make the right decision. And when you read it in Genesis 22, the text we already read, verses 1 and 2, you'll see this is not a casual commitment. God isn't asking for him to do something just off the cuff. God's asking a big ask of Abraham. Abraham was being asked to make a very, very difficult decision. He was being asked to sacrifice his son, to give him totally and completely to God, to surrender the one thing in the world that he loved the most next to God. That's not a casual commitment. That's a complete buy-in. That's a huge sacrifice. That's a major decision. And God was saying to him, remember the promise? If you believe the promise, then respond in faith to the question. If you believe the promise, Respond in faith to the question. Some of us need to do that very thing. We've heard the promise of God repeated again and again in and over our lives through his word, through counsel, through words from the Holy Spirit. Yet when it comes to decision time, we forget to believe the promise when we're facing the question. We panic and we back away. Abraham was not making a casual commitment. God was asking him to take a risk, to take a chance. To live by faith and see what might be done. To trust that what God had promised him, God would deliver and bring through. Now, I asked this question in the green room this morning, and there were two people who knew the answer. So if you know the answer to this question, I want you to raise your hands, all right? I want to see how much I have to explain and how much detail I have to go into. Who knows who Kenny Stabler is? Oh, there's a few of you. Thank you. Yeah, it's just what I thought. All of us that are over 50 know that name. How many know who John Madden is? Oh, there's a lot more of you. Not because you know him, but because you're playing video games, right? Yeah, that's why. Kenny Stabler was the quarterback for the Oakland Raiders. John Madden was his coach. And he won Super Bowl XI when John Madden was coaching. Kenny Stabler was known as the snake. He was known for throwing long. And one time, a Sports Illustrated reporter was interviewing him. And he made a quote from uh, Jack London, and it was something like this. The proper function of a man's life, a proper function of a man is to live, not to exist. And then he said to Kenny Stabler, what does that mean to you? Well, Kenny Stabler is not a philosopher. He was not a theologian. He was a quarterback. He dropped his head. He thought about it for a few moments. Finally, he raised his head and said, I think it means throw deep, throw deep. Throw deep. That's all I knew. Throw deep. You see, Oakland had an offense that ran the ball ferociously. And once they'd softened up the defense with the run, then Stabler dropped back and he would throw deep. 
That's how they won the Super Bowl. So his whole philosophy in life was take the risk, chance it. If you knew him or remember him, he was a left-handed quarterback. He was long-haired. He was a misfit and a malcrit in every sense of the word. But he knew I can win if I throw deep. How does that apply to this story? It applies this way. If we aren't willing to take a risk, if we aren't willing to step out in faith, if we aren't willing to do things that make us uncomfortable, where there's a high chance of failure, we'll never see the promise of God fulfilled in our life. See, faith is not you and I knowing and knowing and knowing that it's all going to be okay. Faith is knowing that God's got it and in God's hand, it's all going to be okay. The end result may not be what I planned, but the end result will always be what God has planned. So at times in our life, we've got to take chances. We've got to develop the philosophy of Kenny Stabler, throw deep, believe God, believe his promises, even if it means we may fail. Even when we can't be assured of the outcome. Hudson Taylor, and you know him as a great missionary, Hudson Taylor said, unless there's an element of risk, there's no need of faith. Isn't that true? If you can do it yourself, you don't need God. If you can handle it, you don't need God. But when you put yourself in the place where risk is involved, where you're not, not assured of the outcome, you need God to come in and come to your aid and come to your rescue. Let me say it this way. Some of us have been living safe for too long. It's time to take a risk. It's time to take a chance. It's time to believe the promises of God because when we make decisions based on the promises, it affects our destiny. It affects where we're going and what God wants to do in us and through us. So Abraham decided to take the risk. Abraham made a decision to trust God with his most valuable and important thing in his life. He made the decision to throw deep. And as a result of that, he risked everything. He risked everything. I believe this morning God is asking you and I to live the same type of faith. To quit playing it safe, to get out of the harbor, and get in the open waters and see what God is going to do in and through our lives. To stop playing it safe and to live by faith in the promises of God. Secondly, I want you to know that Abraham wasn't impulsive when he made this decision. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to the place God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. This was not an impulsive decision. Abraham had three days to think this through. Three days to determine that he was going to do what God was asking him to do. Three days to make sure he was living in obedience. You see, when you and I determine that we're going to follow God, it shouldn't be an impulsive decision, but it should be based upon the fact that I've studied God's Word, I've heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, I've sought godly counsel, and I'm going to follow what God's asking me to do. Not impulsive decisions, but rather thought out commitments to the Lord God. Nothing impulsive whatsoever. Matter of fact, one of the areas that we are so impulsive in the church as believers, it comes to our giving. 
So many times we don't make decisions about our giving until we're sitting in the pew and somebody stands up to receive the offering. Oh my goodness, I didn't even think about that. Well, we do it every service, come on. This isn't new, come on. It's, on the, it's every time we get together, we're going to receive an offering. I didn't think about what I was going to give. You should. You should sit down. I loved it when Pastor Amy said that they made a commitment and prayed about it and went all in. That's what you have to do. Determine, decide that you're going to follow God. Listen, the thing that's most valuable to us so often is our finances. And if we don't sit down and make a deliberate decision about what we're going to do with what God has given us, we will always find ourselves in a state of chaos and confusion. Not understanding why things are going wrong in that financial aspect. Let me tell you something. The promises of God are clear. And when we determine what we're going to do and give to the Lord, it opens the windows of heaven. It allows Him to pour His blessing out upon it. It brings us the promise of His provision every day of our lives. Why wouldn't we buy into that? Why wouldn't we believe that? 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul wrote it this way. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, anytime I talk about giving, some people automatically pull back within themselves. I mean, their arms go like this. They cross their leg. They've tuned me out. Don't do that. Understand, this is a life lesson that will change and improve your life. When we understand how God wants us to deal with our finances. Paul said everyone should give what he has decided in his heart to give. That's deliberation. It's not impulsive. Don't let it be said of you that when it's offering time, I'm scrambling to find a dollar in my purse or my billfold. I'm scrambling to find something to throw in the plate so I feel good about myself. No, sit down and think about it before you come to church. Be deliberate. See what the Word says and determine to live by the Word. Proverbs 3, 9, the Bible says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. First fruits means literally that the giver has given careful thought to their offerings. It's not a spur-of-the-moment decision. They brought in the harvest, and the first 10% of the harvest they gave into the kingdom of God. It was a deliberate decision. They gave what they had already decided to give. So many times people say, well, I don't have the money to give. No, you just didn't decide to give. Most of us have the funds to do what we choose to do. So my question is, do we choose to honor God with our resources? Do we choose to let God flow through us to supply the needs of the house and the needs of the kingdom? Do we choose to partner with God so we can reach people around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's a deliberate decision. Yvonne and I have made that deliberate decision again and again and again. Now, there are times when we're not aware of an offering that's being received and we haven't had time to think about it. Well, in those times, the Holy Spirit just helps us to know what to do. And in those times, it seems like we always give more than we ever thought we would. Because that's what happens to a cheerful giver. We never begrudge it. We're always happy to share with the kingdom of God with what God has already given to us. So he made a deliberate decision that was not impulsive over a three-day period of time. Number three, Abraham based his decision on a specific promise. Two passages I want to read to you. Genesis 15, 
verses 3 through 6. This is the second time the promise of Isaac has been affirmed to Abraham. Abraham said, you've given me no offspring. No one born in my house, house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, the one, this one shall not be your heir. Speaking of one of his servants, this one shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your own body will be your heir. Then he brought him outside. God brought Abraham outside. And he said, look now toward the heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. So God reiterated and reaffirmed the promise given to Abraham years before that even though you haven't seen the fulfillment, it's coming. It's on the horizon. It's on the way. Yvonne alluded to that when she greeted you this morning. Oh, somebody hear me. Don't give up on God. Don't lose faith. Don't give up hope. The promise is coming. It's on the way. Believe God and trust him. And then Genesis 22, 17 and 18. God said to Abraham, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God said, you made a decision based on my promise, which will affect your destiny and the destiny of those who come after you. What did he say? Let's read it one more time. He said to him, and look toward the heaven, count the number of the stars. Then go on down to Genesis 22. In your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, when I was reading the commentaries and preparing for this message, I noticed there were several commentators who, who painted the picture that Abraham, as he was going up the mountain with Isaac, was sad. Tears were running down his face. I don't think that's true at all. Matter of fact, I think those are the same guys that paint Jesus as some doodapair, bambi-eyed guy, you know? Jesus wasn't that way. He was strong. He was rock hard. He was solid. He had a streak in him to defend the kingdom of God. Oh, come on, somebody. Quit worshiping some little God that was crucified and worship the God who was raised from the dead. Worship the God of power. I believe that Abraham's decision was very, very difficult. But by the time he reached that mountain three days later, it was all over. He was convinced he was going to obey God. And he made that trek up the mountain, not with sadness and tears, but he made it up the mountain with an unshakable confidence and a conviction that even if Isaac died on that mountain, God would raise him from the dead. He knew what the end would be. Genesis 22, 5 says, Abraham thoroughly expected to return with a live Isaac by his side. When you read that scripture, it says, tell us, tells us that Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go and the boy over there, <clears throat> while I and the boy go over there, will worship, then we will come back. He fully expected to return with Isaac alive. One way or the other, the boy was not going to stay dead on that altar. How could he be so confident? Because he made his decision based on the promise of God. He made his decision based on what God had already spoken in and through his life. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 clarify this for us. When the writer says, by faith, 
Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figurative speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So let me say it again. He believed if his son died on that altar of sacrifice, God would raise him from the dead. And the same two that went up the mountain were coming back down the mountain because it based his decision on the promise of God, which affected his destiny. Let me help you get into Abraham's mind. This is how he thought. He said, God promised this boy, not once, not twice, but three times. He promised me this boy. God promised me that through this boy, would come the offspring that would be the beginnings of a great nation. Number three, he knew that God couldn't lie. And number four, even if Isaac died, God would raise him from the dead. Folks, you need to understand when we're in difficult circumstances, if we base our decisions on the promises of God, we can say, even if it turns bad, there's good at the end. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. That means good and bad. That means things that we don't understand, the things we do understand. That means heartache and tragedy, as well as victory and joy. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, Abraham didn't know that scripture, it wasn't written yet, but he knew the principle. It was deep in his spirit. He believed that what God had promised, he was able to perform. He based his decision upon a specific promise God had made over his life. So when we offer our gifts, our finances to God, it's based on specific promises from God. We're not simply giving away our money, but rather we're choosing to participate in God's plan to provide for our needs and the needs of the kingdom. The promises are there. They're very, very, very clear. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the firstfruits of all your crops, that your barns be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. In other words, God's saying, if you honor me, you honor my kingdom, you buy into it, support, invest in my kingdom, then I'm going to take care of you. I don't know how much better of a promise you can get than the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. The God created everything that we see and know has said, if you'll honor me with your first fruits, I'll honor you. I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. He wasn't promising in those scriptures to make us wealthy. He wasn't promising to make us rich beyond our wildest dreams, but rather he's telling us, if we take care of the needs of the kingdom of God on this earth, he's going to take care of our needs on this earth, and he's going to have a treasure chest for us waiting in heaven. That's a whole lot better than $226,000 clutching the head of a dead man. Say amen. Amen. Years ago, Tom, would you come back, please? Mike, would you come back? Years ago, when I first started pastoring, I was very hesitant to preach on giving because I thought it was giving people a guilt trip and forcing or manipulating them to do something that they may not want to do. And then one day after I preached on giving, I had an epiphany, an aha moment. 
And I realized it wasn't about manipulation. It was about instruction. It was about teaching the Word of God in a rightful manner. Now, I'm the first to say, there's a hundred thousand charlatans guising in the kingdom of God who do want nothing but your money. But that's not what the Word teaches, and that's not who we are. When we clearly teach God's principles on giving, then God clearly blesses His people and meets their needs. So why would I not want to teach you this and leave you in a place of bondage and lack? Does that make sense? It does to me. Maybe it will make sense to you later on. But I realized in that moment, it wasn't about manipulating people. The problem was I felt guilty. I felt guilty about people asking people to give. See, it was me that was wrong. And God convicted me of that. And I can tell you from that moment forward, I've never hesitated to talk to a church about giving. Why? Because it's liberating. It frees us. It takes us to a new level of obedience and faith. It allows us to trust God for things we never dreamed possible before. Let me just tell you a story. There is no way on God's green earth that I would have ever challenged the lender in 2017 and said, do what you said you'd do or we're never going to pay you again. You know the story. They lied to us. And in that moment, I could rest on the assurance that we have been faithful to God. We had done what God asked us to do. We as a church had sent our tithe and our offerings to missions around the world and to the conference of which we are a part. We had honored God's word as we obeyed him. And because I stood in that place, I knew we had honored God's word. I could say to ECCU, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do until you do what you say and honor your word. We're not budging and paying you another dime. You know the end of the story. They ended up writing almost $5 million off that loan. We sold the plaza. Somebody ought to say amen. All because we chose to believe God's word is true. Number four and last. Abraham's decision increased his faith. And it gave him a powerful testimony of what God would do. When Abraham was willing to act upon his faith to carry it through to the final completion of killing his son, then God stepped in and said these words, Genesis 22, 12 through 14. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The Hebrew for the Lord will provide is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Oh, we sing those songs. We talk about the fact he's Jehovah Jireh. But does it really get into our spirit to the point that we will act in faith as Abraham acted in faith? Can we believe God? The writer of this passage of scripture in Genesis, we believe to be Moses. And he wrote these words hundreds of years after Abraham's death and the promise was fulfilled. But it's interesting to note that in that scripture, he says very clearly, to this day it is said. Hundreds of years later, people remembered 
that God honored Abraham's faith. Hundreds of years later, that mountain become a testimony of what God would do. People still knew the story. A story of God's faithfulness in honoring the faith of his people. Now, an interesting side note, thousands of years after Moses wrote those words, God chose that same mountain to offer his only son, Jesus Christ, as the perfect sacrifice as a lamb for the sin of the world. Did you ever wonder what the scripture says in Genesis chapter 22, that there was a ram caught in the bushes by its horn? Because it was a symbol, a foretype, a picture of what God was going to do. Abraham, God provided a ram. But for you and I, God provided a lamb. The lamb of God. The sinless one. The one that allows you and I to believe by faith in him and what he can do. This morning, I've got a big ask. A big ask. All of you may not want to do it. I understand, that's okay. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm trying to get you to expand your faith. To step into obedience. So don't feel any pressure, there is none. But I intend to challenge you over the month of March. Would you become deliberate in your giving? Would you not be the person who waits until the offering bucket comes by to figure out where I'm gonna give and pull a dollar out of your pocket and throw it in? Would you be deliberate? Make a decision. Maybe you need to do what Yvonne and I have done, what Pastor Amy and Mike have done. Sit down and decide what we're going to do. Because in reality, outside of our families, our money is probably what's most valuable and most important to most of us in this room. So I challenge you over the next four Sundays of March, would you bring your best offering, a deliberate offering, Determine this is what God is asking me to do, and I'm going to walk by faith and do it. Because even though I may not know how it's going to turn out today, I know the end is going to be good. I know there's a blessing and obedience. I'm going to obey God and watch what He does in my life. You see, I believe God's people must make decisions to trust God's promises. And when we do, it affects our destiny. It affects our destiny. You stand with me across the room. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.